listening to Product Knowledge, the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. Episode one, why product marketing isn't just marketing with products. You know, we live in a time where so many things are productized, it seems everything is a product. When we invest at the bank, they're selling a product, at least in the eyes of the bank. If you use a CRM or other software, that's a product too. Joining us from Graphos Product is the CEO and Principal Laurier Mandon and also the Director of Media Services, Andrea Schwabi. So, Laurier, I want to ask, when we talk about product marketing for the purpose of this podcast, what are we driving at specifically here? I like the way you put that, Bryn, because product means so many things right now that um, essentially anything I go out and buy is a product in someone's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess to keep things simple, for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to think mostly in terms of consumer products, the, the kinds of products that, that we think of that we buy in a store the, the, that are associated with an object and, and something that we can take home that, that, that that's a consumer-branded product. Consumer products are what people generally find the most fascinating. People love and are obsessed with consumer products. We, we love Apple products. We love, I think, Oh, geez. Help, help, me with, help me with some other varieties. Of think of anything on Amazon. I mean, basically anything. I mean, people, I, I look at places like Miniso, the Japanese store. You know Miniso? Yeah. I, it, it is just chock full of $3 headphones and all these different, pro- and the, it's always different. They're constantly iterating them, so you're always in this mode to buy. I mean, it's just a store full of stuff that you already have that you desperately want. And And, you know, how do they do that? That's part of what... That's what we're talking about. Well, let me lead into this then. What's the main difference between marketing a a product and marketing a service? To me, the main difference is risk. Okay. And and there are other there are reasons why that risk is 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 so strong. When you're marketing a service, if I'm starting a restaurant or a food truck or a dental practice or other services, customers know what it is that I'm selling and they're accustomed to, to, to buying that, to acquiring those services. But with a product, it can't be like everybody else. A product is something that's generally sold more broadly, geographically. And with a product, it's got to be different. Being a me too product is death. And the interesting thing there is, is that as product marketers, one of the big jobs that we have to do is identify what makes a product really unique from everything else that's out there. For, for that real reason is that if we don't differentiate it from everything else, if we're not able to, to clearly articulate what it is that the customer wants to get out of that product, then nobody's going to buy it. Like there's, you know, you think you can think of products in terms of category as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, even, you know, we don't think of disposables as, as generally as a category, but that's an entire category of things. And, it, and in certain areas, it never existed. So I look at something like, I mean, I grew up in my dad's kitchens. He was a caterer and it was always mops and brooms and, you know, it was all, now it's a Swiffer. Like you yeah. have it and you get rid of it. You don't actually bother with the icky, you know, pot of, you know, this pail of just, ugh, <laughs> the water was always the worst, you know, mopping around grease traps and whatever. Um and so it's it's even breaking categories into the or, or breaking products into those kinds of categories. So you have disposable luxury items. I mean, even just thinking in terms of some items are absolutely luxury items. It's not something you know. Does anyone need a two thousand dollar folding phone? 
I think that's getting into the luxury range. <laughs> Probably you know? not, right? And I think it's interesting you mentioned disposables because that that definition continues to change. Mm-hmm. Even even something like technology is is quite disposable. We buy it to last us a year or two in many yeah. cases, and then replace it with some new technology, and. That doesn't even seem disposable by today's standards, but a decade or two ago, that would have been just absolutely ridiculous. You know, you wouldn't buy something and make and make an investment in it and think it's okay to to dispose of it so quickly. Well, even even clothing has a certain disposable nature to it now. I sure. mean, I remember wearing darned socks. My mom used to darn, and I hated them because the the thread was different. It was always hard and crunchy in that part. Yeah. But now you just buy socks, and when you get a hole in them. Who fixes their socks right. anymore? Yeah, my mom sewed patches on my knees. Is anybody doing that still? <laughs> no, they're not. I had that. Yeah. Now, now I'm I'm an outsider in so many ways. So one of the biggest things for me when I'm taking a look at how how anybody is marketing a product or marketing a service is the creativity part of it. Not everybody is going to come to you with a product or a service, and they're going to have a level of comfort in their creativity. And that's where I see you guys coming in. You, you guys have got a million different ideas, and you can help walk people through that. Do you find that with people, that, that they come in and they might be a little dry on some things, and that's where you got to walk them through it a little bit? Well, an important thing that, that we see in, in even people who are inventors who developed a product and they know it does amazing things, most often they don't know exactly how, how to position that, how, how to articulate that for their customer. So they'll have a product that, that's a truck accessory, for example, and they know exactly what that accessory does and, and why it's awesome, but they don't know exactly how, how to state the benefit, the true benefit that that gives to the, the customer. And it's, it's understanding and articulating those things that, that product marketers really do strongly. We also come up with attractive branding and photos and packaging and all the other things that consumers expect to see but there's no point in doing all those things if, if you don't have the strategy yeah. behind it. And so that is often where we have to, to pull clients back and, and get them to understand that we're going to get there. We're going to do those other visually interesting and, 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 and enticing things. But we have to really understand the messaging first and, and what that strategy is going to be. So one of the first things that we do is what we call the go-to-market strategy. Okay. And that's... With any kind of product introduction, we need to identify the, all the steps that are going to need to be taken in advance before doing them to to be able to, to execute every part of it correctly. So that includes things like validation, understanding what the product is going to, to sell for, uh, what the client is, the customer is going to perceive as being good value for that product, and understanding whether or not there's going to be enough margin to, to fulfill, to to ship, to service, and to for, uh, to stand behind and, and and offer a good warranty on that product, um, it, the the strategy encompasses all those those kind of less exciting but more important things when it comes to being able to to actually deliver the product that the customer needs. Does it blow people away when they come in? They think they know everything about their product and how they want to go after it, and then you just throw all this stuff at them, and they must be going, this is why I came to you guys, because you guys know what you're talking about. Part of what what clients are doing when they come to us is they're looking for objectivity. So we bring this, this outsider's view, but we very quickly get 
an inside understanding and then we can actually translate that to the market and say this is actually like because we'll have products that come to us and what they say the benefit is is actually not the thing that's most attractive to the consumer i mean you know the the i'll never forget with blackberry way back when um jim balsilli said i mean who wants games and pictures on their phone like it's just not a thing whoops (laughs) oops he just simply wasn't paying attention what people perceived as the benefits they didn't care that it was a phone. The phone was the least interesting part of it, and that's been borne out all the way to the present. So it's it's having that sense of objectivity to say, here's here's your product, here's what you say it is, here's what we think it is, and and working that into a good market plan. And phones are such a really good example because the changes that have happened in phones, we talked a minute ago about folding phones, but when the iPhone came out, um, all the phone manufacturers are really racing to come up with a phone that had a stylus and a keypad yeah. that, that, would, that they could package maybe smaller and bring down to the lowest possible price. They wanted something that they could sell for 200 bucks. And out came the iPhone that didn't do any of those things. It was much bigger. It had no keypad. And a button. And people, yeah, and, and a button. And people ridiculed that. And it went on to become what all phones look like now. Yeah. There's just, you know, the Blackberry. And, and are there any others that, that still have a keypad? No. No, I don't. Well, I, I remember somebody. they came, also came up with bigger phones, and then I recognized that well, maybe my eyesight isn't the way it used to be. I'm going to go for a bigger phone, and then I realized it doesn't fit in my sports coat pocket, mm-hmm. so I ended up going back to a more traditional one. You're right, just being able to get to 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 people and show them how to market. They think they know how to market, but once again, I'm 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 bringing it right back to you guys in terms of somebody's got to be the hey, wait a minute guy. Like you have to steer them in the right direction, and and you guys have done a Great, great job on that in the past and continue to do so in the future. Yeah, I mean, clients will, will run up against all kinds of issues that will affect them getting to market. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, manufacturing is always a going concern in Canada because of labor costs. And so, um, you know, you'll have your, your product at one price point and then you discover, geez, this, this is not something we can actually People are not going to buy it at the price point we have to sell it at. So then they have to explore overseas manufacturing or whatever else. And that's all part of the process. And, and you know, we stick with the client all the way through. Yeah, and we've seen that again and again, that, that some of our clients have just been so dedicated that they were going to get this product made in, in Canada or the U.S., and they were going to, to, to have everything done here, and they weren't going to, to outsource to, to Asia. And... After doing, you know, sometimes a lot of research, in the end, they've gone and got these things made in China because they just can't be competitive doing it locally. The, the, the infrastructure isn't here, and things are just set up so much better in China. I, I've, I've been to China, and I've been through manufacturing facilities there, and it's just night and day to what we do here. Just so much more productive, just so so much more technically savvy in many ways, and you know, as a North American, I'm a little bit embarrassed about that, but I'm also, as a product marketer, I've got to recognize that, that, that in many cases, it's just not feasible. And, you know, unless you're willing to transform that and, and welcome to whoever is ready to transform the way that Canadians and, and uh, Americans manufacture, but, you know, we're, we're not there and it's, we're a ways from being there. You're listening to Product Knowledge, the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. Is there a big difference, for example, on how you market big ticket items to smaller items? There's got to be. Is there not? There, interestingly, yeah, there's there's quite a difference. 
I was gonna gonna say earlier when we were talking about our obsession with products, right. it, it 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 applies to big ticket items and smaller items. Thing brands like Tesla are are just you know so huge in the public's eye that 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 if you're reading Inc. magazine online, every second article is about Tesla. And you know the strange thing about that is that very few of us have a Tesla. You know. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> and if Tesla survives long enough, you yep. know people will. Um, but it it's mostly a matter of getting into the public consciousness, like what what that brand has done, what Elon Musk can do, the firepower he has to get a brand into the public eye and and into that consciousness is just amazing. And one another thing we do at at Graphos is we study how these brands create that obsession quality. And there are a number of factors. That's that's a separate podcast. But there are a number of factors that that brands can do even on a smaller scale to begin to build on that and to begin to 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 get customer interest and to get customer loyalty and to create that obsession. So that that's something we'll talk about in other podcasts. Sure. But it's it's something that every brand should be aware of and should be going for, I think. If you why why take your product to market if you don't if you don't believe you have a shot at making it really huge and and making it something really amazing. A lot of what Graphos product does focus in on is go to market strategy. Let's let's get into that here a little bit. Can you explain that to people, what go-to-market strategy is? Yes, you bet. Go-to-market strategy, it, I won't go into all the detail of it because, again, that's another podcast, but it it's essentially studying and creating a framework that the customer can work with and that we can work with as a marketing partner to to go through all the steps that are necessarily – to go through all the steps that are necessary to get that product to market and grow it on the market without making big mistakes, without – ignoring potential fatal errors that are going to, to, to trip us up down the line and make us say, oh, oh my gosh. And, and <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of brands have encountered those things, you know, those, those really big mistakes, those really big gaps in their thinking that, that make a product either impossible or very hard to recover. You have to be patient because I'm guessing people want to move at a really quick pace here. You, uh, and, you know, we've talked in the past about it's great when people bring a million ideas to the table, but you, sometimes you got to just go, whoa, 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 and you've got to implement things at just the right pace. Is that where you also come in into into play? It's just you have to, someone's got to be there to say, okay, hang on, I love where you're going with this, but just hang tight. Absolutely, and especially with software because it's so easy and so quick relative to to with with built products to, to add features in software and software the the, the the, the people whose ideas are behind creating software, their minds don't stop. So when they're out talking and, and, and thinking all night long about what their product can do better or looking at other products, they have this ongoing list of ideas of features that they want to put in that software. And that can actually be, that, that often kills software products because adding feature after feature only confuses the customer and takes you further away from the reason you created that software tool in the first place. So the more a product bloats, the more likely it is to fail. And the people behind the software very quickly lose sight of that. They see it as making it better and better, but it's just making it less and less marketable. Explain Climb to me because I, I keep hearing it, but I don't know exactly what, what is that. Climb is an acronym for Customer Life Improving Mechanisms and Benefits. And that sounds like a lot, but it's also one of the most important things that we can identify about any product. We're, ident we're identifying through CLIMB what it is that 
a product does that changes the lives of the people who buy it in a really important way, in the most important ways. So we ask a lot of questions when we're working through our client process, and the goal is to identify what the customer's reason is, what the job is that the customer needs that product in order to do that's going to make their life better than it was without the product. Uh, that's also a separate podcast for another time, I'm assuming, right? Climb? Uh, yeah, you no, think we're going to do that? We can break that down a little more? Oh, yeah. yeah, we, we can yeah. break it down. And there's, uh, I wouldn't bore the audience with all the questions that we ask while we're doing it. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that we ask that I think can benefit our, our listeners who are, are working on developing their own products because so many of the questions we ask are things that, that, that if you're developing, developing a product of your own, you should be thinking about. And, and, and a lot of the time, the, you know, the inventors aren't thinking about all of, all of those of their customers and uses and, and, and how they're going to get that messaging through the customer's head. They, they often have this gap where they just assume that people are going to get it that as soon as they see that product in a store, yeah. they're going to know exactly how that's going to make their life better, but they don't. And that's where products fall down is, is that, that the, the potential buyers of those products don't get it. And there, there's nothing in the, in the bullet copy that's popping up to them at Costco or wherever they're looking at it that, that's going to make them quickly decide, whoa, what is that again? That's what I've been looking for. Yeah, I got to have it. Well, and again, it's it's that thing where the people who are developing the product most likely really love it and they know everything about it and know everything about that space, but they don't know how to sell in that space and they don't know how to communicate it because they live online in Reddit and forums. And so it's all sort of a very informal way of learning. Um, and so to formalize that and to say, you know, this is what people respond to. I, I mean, it even comes down to, and, and we have to do an episode on color. Just getting the right product color. I mean, I, I once consulted on a medical product and everything was black, white, and red, which is crazy. Some, like some it's, it's actually really intimidating. Struggle. It's, you know, yeah. that's, the, that's the colors of the Ottawa Red Blacks. That's not a medical company. And sure. Some, some industries struggle more than others with colors. Mm -hmm. for, for some, it's a natural. I mean, we've got yeah. a, a fishing lure client. Where color is is, is so, so cool. basic to everything it's that they're doing, so right? Cool, and they yeah. wouldn't overlook color. I, I got to tell you guys, looking at your website, the one thing, and also walking into your office, the one thing that is a, a mind blower for me is I love the colors. Colors for me are huge. I I just I don't like oatmeal walls or white walls. I like walls that have got a little bit of pizzazz and color. That that you know what that yells that yells to me creativity. And you guys, I, I, I see it in not only what I can see online, but I see it when I walk into your office, and I like that. And that would make it very welcoming for me to come into your building. We went that way a few years ago uh, because I've been in branding for a quarter century. And when I started out, you were very limited. You, when you were coming up with, with the colors for a brand, you'd have black plus another color usually because after that it got really expensive. But, you know... In, in recent years, in the last 15 years, that's really changed. So in Brandon Graphos, we decided we were going to have a, a very wide color palette, and we keep adding to that. We keep, keep, coming, with, with, keep coming up with colors that, that, that just expand while staying within kind of a, a fixed grouping so that it, it's, not, it's not entirely wide open. We really don't have color limitations, so we really leverage that when it comes to, to marketing brands when we're promoting brands and we really try to use color to the, to the fullest. And I think being, being an old guy, knowing a lot about color psychology is something that really helps because that's something I don't think people pay as much attention to anymore as they used to or as they should. And 
we really need to think about how every color that we're throwing at our client makes a difference psychologically to them. It's not just what looks pretty and, and what looks good with the product and what looks good in certain environments. Those things are really important, but balancing that with the, the actual psychological effect of, of each color that, that you're adding to the mix is really important. Okay, well, I'm already pumped up based on what we've talked about here, and I can hardly wait for our second podcast, which will be, help me with this one. Obsession branding. Okay. I have no idea what that is, and I can hardly wait to find out. So stay tuned. More coming. That's it for episode one of Product Knowledge. Thanks to Laurier Mandin and also Andrea Schwabi for dropping by. Now, we'd like to hear from you. Subscribe, like, or leave a review to the podcast or share it. Graphos is on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. At Graphos Canada, it really does help others find us. Thanks for listening to Product Knowledge. Also, check out our new website, which is graphosproduct.com. Thanks for listening to Product Knowledge. Talk to you next time.